Hello and welcome to the Wolf Den Podcast, your home for competitive Digimon TCG discussion and news. I'm your host, Nako, joined by my co-host, Sunitsu. This week, we will be discussing the results of the PPG Ultimate Cup and our thoughts on the development of the EX3 meta. Listen to us on your favorite podcasting networks, available now on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon. Link in the description below or find us at Wolf Den Digimon TCG. On top of that, uh, we also stream over on twitch.tv slash Zenitsu, and I upload this in video form on the YouTube channel of Zenitsu. For our viewer question of the week, this week's question is, which deck would you play to consistently beat security control? Many players at my locals meta have picked it up recently, and I want something that will win often enough to maybe convince them to stop. So I think the first easy question or easy answer to the question is probably Wargrey X. Uh, just the fact that the BT1 Wargrey, uh, literally from the first set, uh, comes with uh, a delicate plan built in, basically just turns off security threats entirely. Uh, and then on top of that, you also have Omnimon X Antibody, the brand new one from BT10. When you digivolve up into it, you just literally get to look at the opponent's security and pick the best card from it and then just say goodbye. Uh, so that's going to be one of the easiest decks to want to bring in. Uh, but I do understand some of those parts and pieces might be a little bit expensive. So um, from my personal experience, I actually found blue flares to be pretty positive into security control. Uh, they could control all they want. It just doesn't matter just because, well, you have a tamer that just is hiding all of your sources and you just have aggression out of nowhere which is one of the deck's big weaknesses is just sheer amounts of aggression out of nowhere that it just can't control it can't stop yeah anything that can get around the control elements that the deck uses to stop you from doing what you want to do um, any deck that either has you know adp built directly into the digimon like the wargreymon or decks that can just afford to run one to two copies of a delicate plan, any deck that runs red. Um, I know Melga X experimented with a red base at one point to be able to run that, but that's significantly less consistent. So if you're really going for straight-up consistency, it's really kind of something that at least is always red. So Wargrey X, like number one, number two, probably like a Jessmon. Um, or a Gallantmon. Or Gallantmon. Just a red deck that can run delicate plan and then th or like, burn this security yeah then you get you know into the more experimental like definitely winning against security control i don't know but like i've seen people experiment with throwing in uh shivamon into bloom lord hydra as you know a potentially one or two of off mega if you want to just switch that over and just maybe make it the primary focus of the deck or the the second mega with bloom lord bloom lord trying to end the game and then shivamon existing also um i don't know there's a lot you can do with it but delicate plans kind of your easiest place to start and then if you want to expand from there into something like blue flares where the engine itself is kind of uninterrupted by security controls suite of defensive capabilities yeah and then there's also just a lot of purple decks like um security control hates recursive value so if they literally can't deck you out that's also part of their game plan so like uh decks like commandermon that just do 
not deck out just because of how um, your deck works on top of just uh, purple decks that could just reuse the pieces that die. So, like, there's just a lot of different ways you could go about to tackling security control. And we have to, like, understand that what security control is doing isn't necessarily trying to win on its own merits. It's trying to force your errors to take advantage of, so that way it has an easier time uh, doing anything it wants or needs to. Yeah, it really is just the the deck of kind of compounded unforced errors or you know potentially forced errors in some ways but it takes advantage over the longer game span that it it wins with to slowly accrue value to the point where you just can't catch up or you just expend all of your resources in a certain way um i know when i played into it with examon i was i just took my fives and i was just jogressing and then tuck Tuck a six, play a six, chaos degradation. Okay, well, let's do it again. Tuck a six, play a six, and do that twice, and you're basically out of cards that do anything. Because for one chaos degradation, they got rid of, you know, a seven, a six, and then they can Wyvern's Breath or something, the other six, because it's a little smaller. But, um, yeah, there's, there's at least options as far as uh, flexibility in picking something that will like definitely beat them like war gray axe is probably the easiest way to go about it because it's it's almost a free win assuming that they actually just see the war gray that has to like a plan builds into it yep uh so that's usually our best experience and then obviously doing a lot of play testing against it figuring out what they're trying to do and how to play around it also is going to uh help decks that don't necessarily have those built-in answers actually fight back just because again they give you a lot of memory to do whatever you want and they kind of are expecting you to just over resource yourself and over invest in your cards and then they just punish that hardcore or they want to so um moving on to the main topic of discussion this week uh this last weekend there was the ppg ultimate cup the first official ultimate cup of EX3, where all of EX3 was legal um, since the release of the set. So this is the first data point we have in counting the EX3 metagame moving forward, um, and I guess forms the foundation of what we will be expecting in the future as the metagame develops. Yep, so just going over the decks, um, this is obviously for Top 16. Uh, it was brought to you by PPG. And in first place, the big winner was Wargreymon X Anabody. Second place, we have Yellow Hybrids with Venusmon. Then third place, we have another Wargreymon X Anabody. Fourth place, we have Metal Gururumon, same as fifth place. Sixth place, we actually have a Mastimon. Then seventh place, we have Imperial Dramon, so two BT8 decks. Uh, then we have in ninth place... Or no, that's eighth place. Yep. Metal Gururumon X. Uh, ninth place we have Gallantmon. Tenth uh, place we have Commandermon. Eleventh we have another Metal Gururumon X. Twelfth place we have Security Control. Thirteenth Armor Rush. Fourteenth Mastimon again. Fifteenth another Armor Rush, and sixteenth another Security Control. So, this is a decent spread of decks represented. Um with not too many decks, you know, 
absolutely dominating the threshold here. Um, the highest one being Metal Guru X with four, which isn't ridiculous, honestly, as far as what we've seen in the past with decks such as Blue Hybrids being eight or more of the toppings. Um, so this is pretty conservative spread. I mean, it is early though, so... Now that we've seen certain decks perform better or worse, we may see some consolidation of people moving off of decks they thought were better or decks that they thought they wanted to try out. Um, there's also a small asterisk with this event because uh, it is an ultimate cup, therefore there were mulligans allowed, which may skew the results a little, but on the grand scheme of things, I, I don't really believe it to affect the data set too much. Um, I This won't be anything like the... The, the tournament at the start of BT8 where they didn't allow the starter decks or, you know, the last tournament of BT10 that was BT10 but with restrictions. Those are significantly more impactful on the state of the metagame and what you would expect from the results than something like the addition of a mulligan. So as it stands, this is probably just kind of what we're going to be seeing moving forward. And the big takeaway is the majority of these decks actually aren't anything like crazy that we've seen before there's no ex3 decks in here at all you have two decks that are really taking advantage of the set with uh gallantmon and commandermon obviously both getting some pretty decent updates and upgrades um and then literally outside of that everything was like bt10 and under uh, and the majority of BT10 cards and usage was actually a minimal compared to some of the other decks. Like, there was no true, tried-and-true BT10 deck. Uh, the closest we have is Yellow Hybrid Splashing Venusmon, and then all of the uh, Metal Gurus and uh, Wargreymons, or at least a good portion of them, were using the BT10 um, Omnimon X Antibody. And then I think literally outside of that, it was... Uh, a security control with um grandisol so there wasn't a huge amount of like change uh based on these top 16s compared to literally what we've been playing with before so i remember you mentioning that in the pre-show and i went through each of the decks individually and i kind of categorized them as far as Based on their current list, exactly what they're running, obviously other other options can be used, but if you were to like label the deck by its most or by its most recent card, uh the War Grey X's would be BT ten, the Melga X's would be BT ten, Venus Hybrids is BT ten, Masty is BT nine. Masty's the so basically the two Masties are the oldest decks here where they could technically be one hundred percent tournament legal in their current form as of BT9, which is, I guess, the outlier here. Um, but the some of the other lists here are technically EX3 lists because they include some EX3 cards. The Imperial list specifically. Also, uh, Zenitsu didn't mention it, but um, it is a blue-green Imperial. We actually have to say that now because there's another Imperial. Um, so it's the you know starter deck Imperial Jogress, blue-green as we're used to, the purple red one did not top unfortunately um but it uses a handful of new cards ex3 cards specifically um it uses the jamming 
Sealstramon? Searsdramon? It's a uh, level four. That's that from you... that. That's from EX two, not EX three. Wow. Okay. Yep. So what's Parasormon? The, the only it's a, it's a BT nine list because the only new addition to the list outside of like anything we've seen was the Splash Tech one of Death X, out which was supposed to be the second Imperial Fighter mode from BT eight. So outside of that minor change, it is literally an EX two list. Animal. Uh, where's Parasormon from? BT10? BT9? Uh, no. Parasormon is, like, BT4. No, it's not. Parasormon? No I could swear. Okay, I'm gonna look it up. Zero prep work done in this show. Um. Oh, no, it's BT6, I think. Six? I could have uh, sworn that was is. the new one. Uh, it is BT6. The okay. old Parasormon. So they use it just because it's another Stingmon, because it's a green level 4 that hard drops for 3 consistently. It doesn't have any abilities, which is, like, the downside, but, like, if they're sitting on a Floodgate to prevent you from playing Stingmon, like, okay, it's so just good. Death X is 9, Sears is BX2. Yeah, honestly, I didn't look for the little number. I just had never seen it before and assumed it was 3. Um, uh, there is a Parasauromon in EX3. Don't get me wrong. It's okay. supposed to go into Bloomhide, uh, Bloomlord. Okay, that's probably also the trivia. So yeah, this is actually a BT9 list again then. So, um, this is a BT9 list because of the inclusion of Death X. Um, that counts. Uh, going back to the list. Um, D-Brigade and Gallant are actually EX3, definitely. They use new pieces from the new D-Brigade lineup, and they use the new uh, X pieces for Gallon, or not the new X pieces, the new regular pieces the for two, Gallon. The two color pieces, yeah. Um, And then security control is technically 10 because they use Grandisol. One of them uses Grandisol. The other one, I think, is... Venusmon. Nine? The, is this one nine? This no, the, the, other one, the other one actually is nine. I yeah. lied. Yep, yeah, it's nine. It doesn't use Venusmon. The newest card is Death X again. Um, so, there are some EX3 decks cards represented, but, I mean, we all knew EX3, especially outside of its major engines, is a smaller set. So there's not a whole lot of pieces that fit into other meta decks that aren't explicitly built for EX3. So, outside of your Gallant, your... Um, D Brigade, your purple red Imperial. Like, there's not a whole lot there to for other decks to kind of pick up and use pieces of. So, BT10 being the most recent cards from a lot of these decks isn't bad because it's the last major set. So, it's the last, you know, power cycling that we would see. So, the, the BT9 lists, I guess, are the outlier again because seeing zero improvement from BT9 to BT10 is kind of um, new as far as we usually have decks use new pieces, at least one or two of them. So that's kind of uh, an interesting point to note. Uh, and the majority of the decks are only also using only like a very small handful of BT10 cards at that. Yeah, so like it's not like BT10 is having like that huge of an impact. The majority of these are still just for the most part older decks, which really goes to show the strength of what BT9 brought to the table and how powerful all of these like X decks really are. And just even 
the other types of cards that were added in BT9, because uh, Mastermon did get some pretty decent cards in BT9 as well. And then obviously Death X being Death X. So I think it says two things, right? It says one, that the restrictions were successful in kind of capping the power gain of the set to set movement that we've seen. I know some sets are significantly more powerful than others as far as their relation to the previous sets and their power levels. BT9 was the probably the most egregious we've had so far, but it also seems as though for now, again, you know, reservations to be made for future sets at future dates, um, it, it's the ceiling. BT10 with restrictions has not power crept BT9, and these results show that. Yeah, which isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world. I know a lot of people just like investing in a deck and then knowing that deck is going to be good for a minute more than literally a hot minute. Uh, definitely is nice, but when like it kind of just starts harming the fact that other decks just can't really exist because they're just that much better. Uh, it does kind of put things into a little bit of perspective where it's just like, okay, would Crosshearts have been that bad? Maybe Omnimon, or not Omnimon, Alphamon could have been kneecapped for now, but like, was was really the Crosshearts that egregious to where now there's like almost no BT10? Like, true BT10 originals uh, actually being represented. Yeah, there and are no I know there was... archetypes that were established as of BT10. There are zero in this list. Because everyone was afraid of uh, blue hybrid or not blue hybrids, blue flares, which is blue hybrids 2.0. Um, and everyone was afraid of Grandis. And here they are, zero representation. Um, and I think it's interesting to note that there's also no Grandises in here. Uh, that's no, not saying no Grandis couldn't have. In here. <laughs> yeah, that's not saying like green couldn't have made it in. It easily could have because Grandis just literally is Grandis. Uh, but it shows that um, it is having a harder time making it into these top tables because of just the, and even Grandis is just a BT9 deck, uh, but like, uh, like it's having a harder time just because these decks are utilizing the stuff and mechanic from BT9 to add increased consistency into the deck where a lot of decks just don't have it. Yeah, so... Um, it is actually pretty interesting. If you break this top 16 down to what is the deck's primary mechanical engine as far as what makes the deck tick, why is it strong, where is it getting its power balance, um, there are seven, technically nine, uh, ex-antibody decks here, um, I guess I'll explain in a second, but just decks that utilize, you know, the X-Anybody option card, the X-Anybody mechanic, and Cool Boy itself. Just the power budget allotted to the BT9 X-Anybody series of Digimon. Um, and even now, like, you know, the quote-unquote new additions as far as uh, Gallant X with the new Gallant pieces, kind of shoring up those weaknesses that it had previously, allowing it to actually top an event finally being, you know, previously the, the red deck that we made fun of, because it kept getting support, but it was never any good. Um, you know, you, you keep trying, you'll eventually succeed eventually. Um, so, 
and then the others technically being I have armor rushes labeled as Jogress mechanical identity instead of X antibody because the deck is all about Jogressing, but they also use X antibody Digimon in the form of Magna X. Though you aren't required to go into you, from Magna to Magna X, so but so it's really seven as far as their primary mechanical identity. Um, seven X antibody decks represented here. Uh, five Jogress decks in the form of the uh, two Mastamons, two Armor Rushes, and then the one Imperial. Uh, there are two security control decks. I really don't know if I have anything else to label them other than they are security control. They're kind of their own thing. Uh, one Hybrid Engine and then one Rookie Engine in the form of D-Brigade. I know the deck is more than just Rookie Rush at this point, especially with the EX3 pieces, but it still, at its core, is a, you know hard play rookies swing with rookies deck so that's kind of where it gets its power budget and the ability to recur its rookies and benefit from having commandermon in your trash so i mean it does run like 20 to 23 rookies usually so it's it's fair to say that it is still kind of a rookie rush-esque deck so that's i think that's more telling because so we only had four melga x's two war gray x's one gallant x you know all these different x antibody decks but if you look at the greater scheme of just these are the bt9 engines being you know added with additional pieces then it still absolutely dominates the metagame um one step further just because i had you know uh different data sets so i counted decks multiple times in the instances where they had multiple colors, but the current color representation amongst the top 16 is seven blue decks, five yellow decks, four purple decks, three red decks, one green, and one black. Again, counting decks multiple times when they have multiple colors involved. I only counted two colors, primary two colors for security control because they can use sometimes upwards of four colors if they really wanted to. But it's like, what what's the foundation of the deck? They're yellow, purple primarily um one of them was, whatever color yeah, they one feel of them like. added some red and one of them added some green but they're still running four copies of flame hellscythe four copies of chaos degradation they're they're yellow purple decks and so the <laughs> lowest represented here being the one green there were no green primaries just the secondary of the blue green imperial was the only green on this list at all um and the only blacklist minus um alphamon you know may he rest in peace is just the singular commander mon d brigade list and i think there's nine different decks represented in this top 16 which is a pretty healthy spread and i'm curious to see where things are going to develop from here because like nako said before this is just the foundation this is the start this is what people are going to be referencing when they're going to be looking at what decks are they worried about what decks do they need to focus on on how to beat and it's still going to be these x decks uh garurumon is still probably going to be one of the better and safer decks to go with even though wargrade did win just because of just the amount of more positive matchups it has versus wargrade 
um, and just the different amounts of speed that each of these decks have. I think just using the X antibody decks is just one of the faster things that uh, you could be playing right now. And even though we're not necessarily super hardcore OTK focused, there's obviously more going on to any of these decks than just the OTK. But it still just goes to show that these decks are performing better than anything else. And I do kind of attribute some of that to the kneecapping of um, Crosshearts, uh, because that was obviously the big push deck of BT10, and it, it just isn't represented. It's not good enough anymore. So one of the things that... Um... After the event, I was actually just hanging out in the PPG Discord, not not in voice or anything, just reading through the discussion, and I learned some key things about this event that I wouldn't have otherwise, and just some additional insights I can share with you all. Um, one of them being that the actual uh, winner of the event, and the uh, I originally had thought, because I was trying to piece together, I wasn't sure if we would have a a true published top 16 prior to the creation of this episode we're recording it early because of the holiday approaching but the one of the players had said you know oh congratulations to you know for x for winning and you know our mirror match was epic and legendary and so i was like oh i actually thought that it was a war great x versus war great x finals um just going through the messages later i found that it wasn't it was a war great x versus melga x so i'm not sure which player i could probably look it up on the TCG player stuff, um, or the uh, Best Coast Pairings app, but so either the third or, or fourth or fifth place player um, was the player that played in the finals and was also undefeated until the final round and then dropped, you know, a couple places, unfortunately, when they lost the match. But um, the War Grey X players did play earlier. They played round three and... You know, the first place player won, so the third place player's only loss was to the first place player in the event total. So, um, you know, his only loss was to himself, basically, or to another Wargrey X. So that, I guess, is why he is also as high on this list um, for, you know, opponent win percentage. Um, and then the second place player, the Venus Hybrids, actually didn't lose. They just tied around which put them at second place and also ended the tournament a whole round early. So <laughs> I guess thanks to him for bringing yellow hybrids for that reason, because saved everybody an hour of their time. Um, but I thought it was really interesting that the first place player also had mentioned that they played, I, I don't know what their match is. So I know their third place, ma their third round match was against war gray X and I know one of the things that Zenith and I always ask when we see something like, something maybe unexpected win an event, is, okay, well, what did they play? And, you know, did they play against the deck that we expected them to lose against? Like, whatever. And they played against Wargrey X round three, and then the entire second half of the event, so rounds, what, four, five, six, seven, eight, or five, six, seven, eight, the last four matches were all Metal Guru X anybody, and they won all of those. Which actually is a pretty astounding feat, considering I generally am in the perception that it is kind of in Wargrey uh, X's disfavor. Uh, I This does come with some personal bias I, as a Metal Gurumon X player. 
Uh, I actually think that Metal Guru Mon X is pretty decent into Wargrey X. Uh, but like mathematically, like thinking out turns and play lines, uh, it, it really is who goes second is actually hugely favored in that matchup more specifically just because of the math of evolutions and seeing your pieces uh, involved. Uh, Gurumon, I think, is a more consistent deck, but uh, if the uh, Wargrey X player just gets into their Wargrey X, uh, there's nothing the Metal Gurumon can do to remove that card, uh, which is pretty sad unless the Wargrey X's stack is bad, but they're not going to move it out unless it's a decent stack. Um, but yeah, beating four in a row is still a pretty good feat, and obviously, usually anyone who's played in these big long events, uh, your first couple of rounds, like rounds one, two, and three, uh, are like the drop phase rounds, where people sometimes just will bring jank or bring unorthodox decks and uh, just expect to lose just to get the prizing and leave, uh, but still have a good time while trying to get the prizing. So... Uh, that could also attribute to the acceleration of these decks wins is they get put into like these little sub brackets and subcategories uh, and that could help propel uh, your matchups forward. Yeah, I know um, one of our teammates unfortunately ended up in the, the dreaded tie area after tying round one and then proceeded to play nothing but slow players and security control for the remainder of the tournament. Um, eventually, I think ending with three or four ties i'm not positive how many total um just absolutely mentally demolishing to just play that kind of game the whole day so uh shout out to to them for their mental fortitude for continuing to play the event after tie after tie um but i know that it isn't exactly in uh Wargrey X is favored necessarily, especially, you know, determining who's going first or not for the, you know, ideal lines of play. But I think the one thing that sets uh, these results aside, especially given that we know that the first place player beat Metal four times in a row, was that Melga X is the new big bat. And we've seen different decks um, respond differently to being the big bat. Um you know, famously, Alphamon was the deck that everyone was afraid of. Everyone wanted to beat Alphamon and was very aware of Alphamon's unique, like, gaps in its protections and just loaded their decks with those protections or those option cards or those abilities that would get around its defenses. Everybody dropped their DP removal option cards or their DP removal abilities because it can't be DP reduced. Everybody dropped their hard deletion abilities because it can't be deleted. And so now there's, you know, a singular, like, I, I remember we, when we went over it at the time that, you know, Blue has always gotten the better end of the deal in terms of packages that are analogous between the Red and Blue. And it was for the first time the Red got the better package. It just, Blue being able to be more aggressive with its, it, it attacks with its five, not with its six. So it just kind of operated a turn faster. But... I think now is where we see that um, with Melga X being the big bad, we're just seeing decks getting inundated with bounce again. Just return to hand, return to deck, you know, what have you. And 
something that Wargrave steps in and is also protected from and takes advantage of these decks that are teched against a different deck. This also harms like just blue decks in general with this uh, type of protection attached to this uh, body. So uh, who's to say that he didn't play more Imperial players early on and knock some of them down? Um, and this is also uh, attributed to why maybe Examon didn't do super well, even though the evade mechanic is still pretty good. It's just it still can't bounce it. But uh, in terms of like an option, in case they are moving a little bit slower than the war gray player and they're afraid that their security isn't going to be as good. Um, so it just you, it allows the war gray player to get a particular like idea on how fast the opponent's deck is moving and uh use that to their advantage to figure out when and how they need to be playing their cards yeah so i guess we'll see if um so technically metal x did, still did win the event as far as you know uh the most placings, amount of deck scene. most deck scene um if you count total placing score it's pretty close because Wargra the two Wargraves were first and third, with the Melgas being... Literally guess, being fourth and fifth, and then eighth. Fourth, fifth, eighth, eleventh? Yeah. Yeah. So, there's... You know, they didn't do as well, but all, top 16's top 16, top 8's top 8, you know. Obviously, especially when you get into this, where these people have the same record, they're just different opponents. So it's really, you know... You can't just say, oh, the 8th place Melga X player is clearly better than the ninth place Gallatmon player. Like, they probably have the same record. They literally just had different opponents. I can't, you can't control who you beat, you know? But, yeah. um, and, go ahead. Oh, and uh, one other thing to note is uh, PPG uh, was using Best Coast Pairing, where a lot of the other tournament organizers uh, like to use Arcanine. So they have a different point distribution in terms of how they're awarding these points. Uh, so that does attribute to some decks might be able to perform well than others in terms of their tiebreakers. Okay, just to explain that, because it was actually something that was confusing me for a while, and I remember I was talking to Zenitsu about it. I was like, why are there these blue number ones and green number ones, and what's with the coloring and... I was like, okay, there's win-loss tie. Why is it more complicated than that? And it, the answer is is that uh, Best Coast Pairings specifically uses a point structure uh, to award points at the end of a match based upon the number of games concluded. So um, by other tournament organizers' metrics, if you win game one and then fail to finish a game two, declaring the game one winner as the match winner, they get three points. By PPG standards, by the uh, Best Coast Pairing standards, only one point is awarded to the victor. You still get a win, It's a, so it, but it's just a green number one, so it's essentially the points of a tie. And then the loser is just awarded the zero normally, but the winner is not given the full three points as if they had won the full match. So it means that it kind of punishes the slower decks even more so, because I know even I had a round where my opponent and I were both playing control-y kinds of decks, and we only finished one game and then went to time in game two. So even though I lost the round, my opponent was not awarded the full points for the uh, for the match. And that does have uh, 
a profound uh, impact in terms of how the event is eventually going to be ran because of just the different point differentials that could then be created and how matchups are then paired up. So that that is just one important piece um, to like not saying that the players didn't play well. They all played absolutely insanely well to get to that point. Uh, it's just the different uh, tournament organizers use different softwares, so that could attribute to some deck's success over others just because of how the software works and the type of deck that they're bringing. Um, yeah, so I didn't know exactly where to fit this in as far as like when we discuss it, but um, I know we've been pretty hardline in our stance as far as that we don't see security control as a difficult deck to play, and we usually don't enjoy the players that play it, and we don't encourage people to play it. Um, but I now have, you know, straight from the horse's mouth, uh, one of the players who topped the event was actually discussing the deck in the PPG chat afterwards. And I was jokingly, I like, I responded, because I think he made a comment basically just like, oh, you know, like, player plays one card a turn, you know, tops event, and I was like, "Are you are you being serious? Like, are you are you self owning yourself?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like, this deck's actually brain dead. I pretty much have only played security control. I I actually am not very good at card games. <laughs> like, um, so I I don't have the quote pulled up exactly. Do you? Does he need to? Uh, I actually do. I have his whole. I have have his full statement. Okay, so, so I asked for uh... a specific statement that I would that I could then quote him on. So, uh, this is a. This is from the top 16 player topping with security control. Uh, so he specifically states, I play the deck so much, I can say it is 90% brainless. Second set sentence says, uh, you make one to two actions per turn, and uh, those are based on your hand and what you think is in your security. Uh, third sentence is, uh, you're barely drawing compared to other decks, and then his last big statement is, it's all about timing, bluffing, and luck. So, straight from the horse's mouth, I we joke on it, but... And, and this is even, like, there's there's fun in it, because while I don't... I, I still roll my eyes when I play against security control. It does top events. It, you know, has continued to show that, even in this format, even with this last event. Um, but, at least, you know... Like this, this illusion that there's this giga brain mental gymnastics going on behind security control, it's just not there. It's it is one of the easier decks to pilot. It is one of the easier decks to construct. It's one of the harder decks, you know, monetarily, which shouldn't be a factor in consideration, really. But, um, you know, straight from the player that, by their wording, basically only plays security control, it's not hard to play. Um, but it still does well. So if you are someone who wants a deck that is easy and strong, you may you can play security control and lose all your friends as well. Yeah, I mean, not saying that, like, to shift the narrative to be, like, boo security control. Like, it's still a very powerful deck. I think, like, a lot of its, uh, like in the uh, user question earlier, a lot of its relevance is centered around the opponent messing up. Before, it just wasn't actually able to win games and people like stalled out games to to hope the opponent just decks themselves out. I think people got a little bit better. Like the reason why it doesn't actually win events is because if you're going up against a good player, they should know how to 
read and play around security control just naturally, no matter what type of deck that they're playing. It's like, okay, I know how to be able to beat this, and I can adapt my playstyle accordingly. And some players just have a harder time making that mental shift to adjust accordingly. I think it also speaks to the thin margins by which we differentiate toppings. Like I said, a lot of these players will have similar, like if not identical records, except for opponent's win percentage uh, amongst the top 16. Um, yeah, they're usually all like 7 and 1, uh, so 7 wins, 1 loss in terms of anyone that's not first place. And then usually second place might have like a tie, uh, so it's not like it actually lost, but it didn't win so, either. But basically by that metric, that's why security control is... You'll never see it kind of win, or, you know, it'll be much harder for it to be in the higher tiers of toppings, because a single tie, and you're almost, A, you're already out of the running almost, you're already out of the running for winning the event as soon as you tie, and um, you are almost out of the running for, like, um, being in the top eight, unless you just never lose now. Like, like, so the, the second place player was lucky, or fortunate enough at least to only tie once, and then win the rest of their games. They did not lose, and they got second place. So, um, that just shows that if, especially if you tie once with security control, and you get stuck into that bracket where you get paired up against other people with ties, and you play against another security control player, you're going to tie again, unfortunately. It's, I've seen the security control mirror, like, I've seen it more often, way more at locals, but, I mean, not, you know, the most competitive of situations, but Nobody hates playing against security control more than security control players because that mirror is actually obnoxious to even to watch. But um, neither player has any means of ending the game, so it just you just tie, and then now you're like two ties and you're almost decidedly out of top 16. So that's really where this you know information is coming from. So if you want something that you can top 64 consistently. We never really see the full, you know, depth of the data. We never get to go through the whole list of events. Like, what's the total top 128, top 64? I would love to have access to that data, but not a single tournament organizer provides that for us. Uh, I think we saw it a total of once. It was literally once, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that was about it, and I think it wasn't necessarily a thing they did on purpose. Uh, it was just, let's just throw this out because we need to throw it out. Mm-hmm. Um but regardless, like what this is, what this data is showing us right now is Metal Gurumon is still going to be the best deck to uh, play and prepare against. Um, and a lot of these BT9 X antibody decks are just that strong. Uh, I'm actually kind of happy that Gallantmon is on here, even though he didn't top eight, he just barely bubbled out and he got ninth place. Uh, just the fact that there is still some ability for the other x antibody decks or decks that are incorporating ex3 to be able to do well is nice uh who's to say that next event um bloom lord won't be able to top uh it just really depends on a lot of like a whole bunch of various factors to go right in order for you to be able to propel and accelerate your deck and as we saw with the war Greymon player he just farmed the blue um the blue Garurumons, but that's not going to say like, oh, if he played a fifth one, would he have won that fifth one? Uh, it just showed that he was familiar with that matchup. He was comfortable and good with it and uh, obviously did very well into those. So uh, make sure to get as much practice into 
uh, probably the number one deck that you think is going to be there and make sure that you're going to at least be prepared for that number one, which is usually how a lot of these metas uh, we generally tech for is just knowing what that number one deck is and be able to adapt our deck to be able to beat it. And I think this was just a pretty good meta call on reading that it was Metal Gururumon and it looks like it is Metal Gururumon. Yeah. Um, I know we've mentioned it in the past, like it's a need to basically just mention, but um, it's basically the, the biggest argument for playing, not the necessarily big bad. Like, so statistically, still the best deck for this event was Melguru X. It had the most tops, the largest represented amongst the top sixteen. Um, and I, I at least know from my personal experience playing in the event, I played against two of them. I didn't play against a single Warcry X. Um, but that being said, there there are some challenges with being the best deck, is that it's easier to tech against you, and people will tech against you, and people will practice against you, which is, so, I mean, I'm not sure the exact suite of what one practices against if you are the best deck, what, either your best matchups, your worst matchups... You have to divide your time between what's what do you think you're going to see that isn't yourself, that isn't just the mirror, which you ought, you should be very familiar with if you're playing the best deck, but it allows everybody else to plan for you and you not necessarily to be able to plan for them. Because as a Melga X, you have to be prepared and able to completely play out optimally as best you can what Wargrey X, Bloom Hydra, Examon, uh, by this metric, Mastamon, Security Control, and they all play, you know, in some ways vastly differently. I mean, I don't really know what Metal X does. Melga X does versus a Wargrey X that they wouldn't do versus a Bloom Lord or what they wouldn't do versus a Security Control. But I also don't play the deck. But um, if you are the Wargrax player, you are the person who's playing, you know, not necessarily the deck that people are expected to play against. You have that slight advantage as far as people may not be familiar with what my deck is capable of, and that wins you games. And even just looking at the meta as a whole, like, a lot of people just are uh, slightly defaulting to good security threats to try to kill Metal Gururumon X. Uh, more in the case of security control, but like uh, Imperial Jamon having um, Megadeth and uh, Armor Rush also having Megadeth. Uh, you have Chaos Degradation on Mastimon's side. Like, there's just a lot of security threats that's in this top uh, 16. And none of that matters to Wargreyax, which, again, helps propel itself forward as a good deck to take in this, or at least it did propel it in this type of event, where it's just like, I have a good Melga X matchup, and when I don't, I could just easily body anything that's relying on their security to just try to win the game. So, like, there, there is just a lot that goes on into your uh, capability to be successful at these types of events, and... Uh, reading the meta, knowing what the best deck is, being seasons and practiced all definitely help attribute to that. So the next step, I guess, as far as this is what happens when the meta gets completely turned on its head. 
beat the BT10 uh, power level has been kneecapped. We are dropped down to there's no cross art supremacy. There's no Alphamon, not some, I mean, obviously not a BT10 deck, but there's no Alphamon running amongst with its 17 different protections. And this is what we get in that instance. So, seeing this, seeing the, you know, continued rise of Melga X, the continued presence of Melga X, uh, but the strong addition of, you know, the War Grey Xs, the Armor Rushes, the, you know, the Gallant, these decks are decks that now people have at least a snapshot of what to prepare for. Whereas before we were guessing, many people were saying Bloom Hydra, many people were playing Examon. Just they're not not represented here at the moment. Not saying they won't be. I still think both of those are very strong decks. Um, and at least yeah, I know of people who are playing against them too. There's still just a lot of playable decks um, that eventually will end up getting their own top 16s. But this at least just gives us a base foundation to go off of in terms of actually getting a read on the meta because uh, this is kind of a Wild West where we don't we didn't exactly know what to expect going into it, which made this a little bit harder uh, of uh, events to want to tech and get a read for. But uh, there's still just a lot of plethora of uh, different viable options in terms of like playable decks that could be represented because Jessmon wasn't here at all. I think Jessmon is still a good deck. Uh, like you said, Examon, Bloom Hydra. Um, Blue Flare still has the capability and potential, even though it's really bad into single stack decks, which is basically everything that was uh, BT9. Uh, there's still just a lot of space for development and we have a lot of time for that development to happen. Yeah, and as the meta starts to stabilize, um, so we'll move from this initial um, kind of guesstimation phase where I don't know exactly what's good into what, I don't know exactly how certain matchups develop and I don't know what people are wanting and actually bringing because they'll ultimately that's all a meta is if everybody wakes up on the the day of the event and you know a, a letter flies through their window and it you know they unwrap it and it says play mastamon and all of a sudden mastamon's eight out of the top 16 you can't prepare for that because everyone's playing mastamon mastamon will top or if everyone's playing metal x metal x will top so it ultimately comes down to what are people playing and then what are people winning with once they're all playing it? Now, obviously, if everybody just decides to play security control and then the top 16 is just 16 different War Grey Xs, we know what happened there. But um, this is where we see kind of the iteration and consolidation phase, as I've usually referred to it as, um, for my purposes. And... So before people guess, right? Like, I think this is a good deck, or I've heard this is a good deck, and I've played this deck, and I think it's pretty good, and I take it. And now, you know, we, you cast the widest net at the beginning of a format, unless there's, you know, a potentially one best deck in mind, but there wasn't necessarily this time. And... and oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, you first. <laughs> I was just going to say, we just move towards, um, you know, the uh, iteration and consolidation. So... I thought Melga X was the best deck, but I thought Bloom Lords 
Bloom Hydra was really good into Melga X. I was very confident in that matchup. And I just played in the event, and I actually I lost to Melga X twice. I mean, I didn't personally, but example. Um, and there are zero Bloom Hydra represented here for Melga X. I return to the drawing board. But what I do see is, oh, wow, like Armor Rush. That's pretty interesting. What, what are they doing that's allowing them to beat Melga X potentially? Or how does the Melga X versus um, Work Raymond matchup go? And, you know, you learn, you you look into these decks that are topping, and or even like the Blue-Green Imperial, like, whoa, where'd that come from? I thought that deck was dead. What, what, what new pieces did that deck get? And then you look up the list, you see, you, you know, you figure out maybe why it won, and then maybe you swap. Not necessarily because you, you have to, but many people want to. Instead of, you know, we don't have that much time to build and develop these decks in the card game. Obviously, this format is going to be a little longer than most, but it'll be much more likely for somebody to switch to one of these decks than to try and develop their own game sense with whatever they brought that isn't represented here. Yeah, and uh, rapid iteration is usually a good thing. That's kind of where I was going to go with that. uh, Just learning to be able to uh, adapt really quickly is a very crucial strength, especially when sometimes these events are back-to-back-to-back. So uh, just this, like, month, we had Core, which obviously was BT10, so that doesn't necessarily count, but date-wise, it was literally uh, one week ago. Then we just had PPG, and now uh, this coming weekend we have uh, Top Cut, and then we get a little bit of a break uh, and reprieve. And uh, in December, it looks like we only have one event as of right now, which is going to be the Play TCG event. Um, and that's going like during that break is probably where there's going to be the most amount of changes because we have more time to be able to iterate on our decks, on our playstyles, and where we think the meta currently is based on the previous event. Yeah, um, I have I have seen it referenced before that one of the negatives of the North American meta, the English meta, is that we are far more likely to ditch what we think we like or what we actually like in terms of something that we think will be more successful. Um at least far more than the Japanese metagame does, especially because they usually operate at a locals level. So I'm, I feel less punished bringing my Mastamon deck to locals and, you know, maybe losing a round or two than I do losing to just three Melga Xs in a row in, in Ultimate Cup or something. And so we usually do kind of fall into a you know a pretty tight top end of a couple decks that people think are good or that are good into each other and that is where i think for this next event we're going to see a lot of that we're going to see fewer total different decks taken a lot more consolidated towards these decks or even just the, the couple decks that just barely miss this list um I think I remember seeing that like the, the highest Bloom Hydra list like was still top 32, maybe it's like in the 20s. So, it you know it's there. It definitely can see success. Examon as well, um, but just the lists didn't see success on this day. Ultimately, un- unfortunately, you know, a lot of the success of a card game does depend upon you know draw RNG and opponent RNG. So, while we still see a lot of, of 
the same players topping events due to their, you know, just being able to beat their opponents with the tools they are given, um, everybody draws poorly eventually, and then you just lose a round, and all of a sudden you're you're out of this list, and you're we're not talking about your, you know, top 32, still did very well, still very proud of yourself, um, in the event, and your your just list isn't mentioned, you know. Yep, and not even the lists that are mentioned that would have had the same um, like win-loss record as some of the decks that are in top 16, but barely bubbled out due to uh, like opponent match, uh, 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 due to their opponent win percentage yeah. and tiebreakers. I mean, if you were someone um, like myself, who in an early round, I played against an opponent who just kind of popped in and said, hey, uh, I'm just here for the prizing. You can just mark down that you won and then leaves the call, like, your opponent win win percentage is going to be lower because that person isn't winning any matches. So, um, you you could literally win the rest of your matches minus maybe one that you lose to something and bubble out of top 16 for that reason. So, um, you know, it's in the nature of the card game, um, and we just kind of do the best with what we have as far as our analysis of the data. Yep. And by no means does this mean that the format is already solved. We're just the beginning, and there's still a lot of room for growth and exploration to be had. And I'm curious and interested to see how this is actually going to end up and end up to develop. Yeah, if anything, it's the opposite. You know, right? Like, this is, as you know, we've said, this is the starting point. This is the, we have, the next couple months. We have until, uh, BT11 comes out in February for this meta to continue um assuming no additional changes are made via the ban restriction announcements but uh based upon the information we have as of this moment this is what we have and maybe we see some changes because i mean i know i was surprised that a yellow hybrid deck is here at all i had completely written off the deck um with the restriction of Jet Sylphie, and the restriction of Sunrise Buster especially, um, those were two very prominent cards in the BT10 iteration of Venus hybrids, and so the fact that this player found success with it, literally going undefeated minus their one tie, um, is something to be explored as far as are other people going to pick up Venus hybrids? Um, because it was the deck that kept Melga X out of the Japanese metagame because it, it's by far Milga's worst matchup. Yep. Uh, just because Venus Mon's ability to just turn off your abilities is pretty huge, especially since uh, attacking into it is also off the table. And yeah, it's it's not necessarily in Guru's favor. Just also the specific uh, option suite they use for removal that goes around Melga's protection if they DP minus you in any way. So Sunrise Buster is off the table outside of the one of, but that was just very tempo efficient. You can still run Eden's Javelin or Wyvern's Breath as if you really need like large removal. Um, but even something as an Eden's Javelin would usually get over a Melga as far as to just DP minus the stack down and kill it without it being able to protect itself. Yeah. Though also, that being said, I mean, this this just shows the complexity of the card game and the metagame that we have, because 
Venus Hybrid doing well is something I might want to try, but if I know other people are going to all be picking up Wargrex, I don't want to bother because that's an easy loss. Uh, based on the market, I definitely think people are picking up Wargrex. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it winning the event and being third place like is going to be the, the headline, right? That's what everyone's going to walk away from this event with. Melga X had four. Yeah, yeah, we all kind of expected that. But two Wargrey X and one of them won. And they beat four Melga Xs in a row. That's that's the headline. That's what people are attaching to. Oh, and also there was a Gallantmon. That was really cool. Shout out to that player for winning with that. Yep. But, so, um, hopefully we get some development uh, in the next tournament and we'll see where people take this and where it goes yep uh and i'm pretty uh as as much as people like to doomsay on the the lack of cross hearts and the bannon restriction i think ideally it was for the benefit um just so that way we could try to have a better uh ex3 format as a whole yeah it felt it i felt good about the event um and i felt as though it was fair and even though i played into yeah i think two of my two of my five rounds that i played were melga x i still it's it's not a great matchup for me but i never felt like i was just i lost by them flipping their egg and knowing that i was playing against melga x yeah, it definitely is a lot closer in like a lot of these decks are a lot closer in power than people think, even if it is a lot consolidated into BT9. So that being said, that's all the time we have for today. I thank you for joining us through the completion of the episode. Uh, make sure to leave a comment if you guys want to add anything to the viewer question of the week. We kind of go through those to see what we want to use for the next week's episode. Um, we usually don't get a whole lot, so the there's a good chance that if you do ask a question in the comments that can be answered in the viewer question section, then we'll be able to accomplish that. Um, but th either than that, uh, enjoy your holidays, depending on when you're listening to this, um, and we are out. Peace.